Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch. Good Friday to you. Time for the one and only Big Six here on 1045 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. I am, and I say it every single show, I am so beyond blessed. Just blessed beyond all reasonable measure. And I, I sincerely hope that wherever you are, whatever stage of life or season of life that you're in, you recognize that you are as well. And thank you for, for giving me your time and, and giving me your eardrums tonight or any chance that, that you've ever had to do so. I thoroughly appreciate it. Everybody here feels the same way. We just we don't take you guys for granted. I'll tell you about Sports Fest later on. That's an opportunity where we're looking forward to to meeting you guys again like we do once a year as we celebrate Nashville sports and celebrate just this zone community that you've helped us to build. But Zion Williamson is still kind of the story, right? Tennessee's playing LSU tomorrow, 11 a.m. Tip coverage right here on 104.5 The Zone with Bob Kessling and the Vol Network crew. You'll hear it, Burt Bertle Camp and Company. That's a pretty good LSU team. Matter of fact, it's a really good LSU team. And Tennessee is coming off the two probably most lackadaisical performances we've seen from the Vols to this point in the season, honestly. Uh, the Kentucky game, look, they just got blitzed and beat. We talked about it earlier in the week. The Vanderbilt game, they won by 12 but they didn't look much like winners. They didn't shoot the ball very well. This is the game they need to get right in. They do not need to continue slumping. They need to go down to Baton Rouge and just Tennessee them to death. They need to have a great performance across the board. It just needs to be kind of a clean ledger. It hadn't been a clean ledger. They were out physical against Kentucky, and then against Vanderbilt, it was just sort of sloppy. Like, it's one of those where they won, but if you were writing the story, you would write the word win, and then you'd put a question mark after it instead of a period or an exclamation point. It's like, they won, technically, but they're going to have to do a lot better than that. And I don't really have a great feel for this game tomorrow. My initial take is, I think Tennessee will get right tomorrow. And they, they're probably tired and tired of the narrative that's emerged over the last week about just the idea that they were pretenders from the very beginning, because I don't, I don't believe that they are. And I believe that, that tomorrow is, is an occasion where you want to see the best from Rick Barnes' crew, and I think that you're going to. But that is not going to be an easy game. It should be a good one, though, and a good way to start a great college basketball Saturday. NBA's back in action, finally. The Lakers get the job done last night. LeBron and the Lakers come back from 19 points down to beat the Rockets. But Zion Williamson is still kind of the story, right? His shoe explodes with Barack Obama watching in the seats at Cameron Indoor with so many people there just to watch. There's guys paying over ten grand on vivid seats. 
to be there. The average ticket there is twenty five hundred, and you get thirty six seconds of Zion Williamson, and then he goes down, and you're scared to death for Zion Williamson because, I mean, if it's the wrong kind of injury, who knows what this is going to do? He is a minus two thousand betting favorite, or was earlier this week, to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. People are comparing him to the greats of all time in college in terms of when you read articles about the last great college draft prospect that felt as strong as Zion Williamson, the list gets very, very impressive. There are articles out there right now saying stop trying to compare Zion Williamson to other guys in the NBA because no one like him has ever existed. 6'8", 280, ripped, 45-inch vertical leap. So a lot of the comparisons, Charles Barkley, maybe that's the closest in terms of a young Charles Barkley, but Zion's obviously bigger and stronger, I think, than Barkley. And Barkley, if you remember, not sort of the the rotund version of Barkley and certainly not the the fun guy on Inside the NBA that we can't get enough of as a media personality, but Charles Barkley that came out of Auburn and started playing in Philadelphia. Go back and watch highlight reels of him running the floor and dunking the basketball. Some of the stuff he did as a sixer was just outrageous. He's always going to be one of my all-time favorite players. I loved watching him in Philly. I adored watching him in Phoenix. And just as a media personality, I wish there were more guys like him who just said what was on their mind, no matter what it was. And Charles Barkley's a guy that also knows, look, I can get away with saying what I want to say. So I'm going to be honest, I'm going to tell you what I think about basketball, and I'm even going to wade into other things. And I'm not going to be afraid to upset even my own community at times when I have to. I love Charles Barkley. Even if I'm not watching the NBA, I'm watching Charles Barkley. But So, okay, Charles Barkley's one comparison that's been made. Then you've had other guys like Rodney Rogers and and some of those names. And look, Rodney Rogers was a wonderful basketball player at Wake Forest. Zion Williamson looks like he's a lot better. But I talked about this a couple of days ago. I'm not sure if Zion Williamson is LeBron James or he's more like Blake Griffin. He certainly is not going to win a championship by himself, but no one does in the NBA. You have to form a super team. But Zion Williamson has so many skills. If he can develop a mid-range game, look out. But... He goes down 36 seconds in against North Carolina, and then the questions begin. Should Zion Williamson play again at Duke? Is his value in the future, is his future period, too valuable to risk on college basketball? Well, he said, and of course it ignites the one-and-done rule, and then you saw just today stories that have come out that that kind of emerged from last night with Michelle Roberts and the Players Association and the NBA, there is a formal proposal now to reduce the age limit from 19 to 18 to enter the NBA. And this would probably not start until around 2022 when a new agreement is launched, but this would kind of get teams and franchises prepared for that inevitability. The one and done is a garbage rule. It's a terrible rule. I don't think I am in any way germane in saying this, but you either should be able to go out of high school because you're good enough, you're Kevin Garnett, you're Kobe Bryant, you're LeBron James, you're Zion Williamson, you're that good, you're either that guy and you bet on yourself and you go to the NBA after high school if you've got recruiting services or scouting services for pro teams to say, yeah, you're definitely good enough right now. Or you go ahead to the G League and make... Whatever it is, seventy grand there, and try to play your way into the show, 
Or if you go to college, you go for three years. What I'm tired of is the mercenaries in Lexington and the mercenaries in Durham and the mercenaries in even in Chapel Hill, even though we've seen a couple of guys stick around there. I don't need to see mercenaries in college basketball. That's why this Tennessee team has been so easy to root for. Because this Tennessee team has juniors and seniors on it that have had to grind and grit, and you've gotten to know these kids. You've gotten to know these young men. Well, you know what? You've gotten to know them almost as kids to men watching them in Knoxville. Why do we tune out of college basketball these days? I don't think it's because of the number of games, because that really hasn't changed. And I don't think it's because there's 68 teams in the tournament, even though you can make that argument. It's mainly because the names on the back of the jersey mean nothing to you anymore. If you're a Kentucky fan, you're watching for Kentucky. But how much do you know about these guys? You know nothing about them. You don't even know if they've been to class, because why do they have to? They have to go one semester, basically, and they're already looking towards the NBA. It's hard. When you've got... I mean, you're a Titans fan, and you follow the Tennessee Titans and the guys that have been here for a long time. You know their stories. You know... Maybe you've even even know a little bit about their families. You get to know them. When I was growing up in ACC territory, people weren't leaving after one year. The one and done didn't exist. So I'm in North Carolina. I'm watching Randolph Childress. And I'm watching Tim Duncan. And down the road, I'm watching Rasheed. And I'm watching Jerry Stackhouse. And I'm watching guys like Dante Calabria. And I'm watching Chris Corciani and Rodney Monroe. And the list goes on and on. And then Duke, I mean, my goodness. Danny Ferry, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, the Hill brothers, Grant and Thomas, Brian Davis, Wojciechowski, who I've always despised because of that stupid slap in the floor thing, Chris Collins, Trajan Langdon. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on. But I remember these guys. I barely remember any of the people that are playing college basketball now that are one and done. I always go back and think about Kevin Durant at Texas and some of those guys, Carmelo Anthony. At Syracuse, the biggest name guys. Kyrie played at Duke. Some people forgot that. But the one and done is a problem. So should Zion Williamson play again? Well, Zion said, look, if there was no one and done and I could have gone straight to the NBA, I still wanted to go to Duke. I still wanted to go to college. I had somebody argue with me yesterday on Fox Sports Radio and tell me that he's just saying the right things. He doesn't need to say the right things. The optics aren't wrong for him to say, yeah, I would have gone to the NBA. Zion Williamson is a smart kid. He also knows if you go to Duke, you learn from Mike Krzyzewski. That's not a bad thing. If you go to Kentucky, you're with John Calipari. Whatever you think about his coaching acumen, if you go to Kentucky, people are paying attention, including NBA franchises, and you can be a bigger marketable name because you're coming out of Kentucky. John Wall, Boogie Cousins, Drew Bledsoe, Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, who of course has been in the news a lot, Carl Anthony Towns, all of these guys. You are put in marquee situations in a few college basketball programs where it would be advantageous. But the one and done is no good. So should Zion Williamson continue to play college basketball with the risk? Gary Parrish said, look, any normal injury isn't something that would cost Zion Williamson his future. It would have to be a freak thing, a fluke thing. There is nothing more fluke, more accidental, more ridiculous than what happened to Zion Williamson on that floor at Cameron Indoor, 36 seconds in against North Carolina the other night when that Paul George shoe exploded. You can't make rules, and you can't live your life, ladies and gentlemen, based on the worst-case scenario. You have to keep it in the back of your mind that, look, anything is possible. We're not in control here. 
Things can happen. But John Wall tore his Achilles in his own home. We've seen so many Major League Baseball players that lose multiple games for the stupidest injuries you've ever heard. One of which includes metal salad tongs cutting a guy's hand to where he couldn't pitch for about a month. Zion Williamson can't wrap himself in bubble wrap and then walk around and that be his life. There are possibilities he's going to get hurt. He's an 18-year-old kid, and at that age, you know what you believe? You believe you are superhuman. Look at Kyler Murray, 180 pounds soaking wet, playing college football and picking the NFL, betting on himself despite the fact that his height is what people talk about, but it is the weight, it's the lack of stature, it's the frailty that would bother me a lot more than the fact that he's not six feet tall in 2019. But Kyler Murray wanted to play two sports, and he picked the violent sport even at his size because, guess what? He thinks he's superhuman. Zion Williamson is nearly superhuman. 6'8", 280, ripped, 45-inch vertical leap. So should he play again? You know what? It's up to him. Why do you go to college to play college basketball? Yeah, you do it for the exposure. But what is it that you used to do when you were in your driveway? I'll tell my story. 1988, Danny Manning and the Kansas Jayhawks beat the Oklahoma Sooners, Sooners uh, Billy Tubbs' team. Stacy King was the star of that team. Mookie Blaylock was on that team. Harvey Grant was on that team. I remember a lot of things. Dave Seeger, who was a great three-point shooter at the time, was on that Oklahoma team. Oklahoma beat Kansas both times in the regular season. They were both in the same conference, just as they are now. Danny Manning was a superstar player for Kansas. And then there were a bunch of other guys that you probably wouldn't remember, but I remember them very well. Milt Newton, Normore, who was a football player. Kevin Pritchard, who would become an executive in the NBA, a good one at that, both in Indiana and then later in Oklahoma City. Chris Piper. I can name a lot of these guys because I remember that game. It was the 1988 NCAA championship game took place in the Kemper Arena. Brent Musburger, Billy Packer on the call for CBS. I remember it like it was yesterday because back in the day, we used to record things on something called a VCR. And my dad recorded all the important sporting events. And one of the ones he recorded was the 1988 National Championship game. And we weren't out there buying a whole lot of stuff. And I would sit there playing with Legos in the basement part of our loft at the time, our log cabin. And I would sit there and I would watch that game over and over. I'd watch that tape to where I could actually quote Brent Musburger and quote Billy Packer. It's probably why I'm doing this for a living now, is stuff like that. But the point here is, you know what I did after I watched that tape? I went out to the basketball goal that I was blessed enough to have because my dad worked his butt off and my mom worked his butt off, worked her butt off and those things were available to me. And I replayed those moments from that NCAA championship game. That's why, folks, you want to go play college basketball. You don't want to go there for the regular season. The dream is the NCAA tournament. It's March. If you're at Duke and you're this close to the end of the season, I understand the future concerns. But if you're Zion Williamson, don't you want March Madness as part of your life? LeBron James probably laments the fact that he was never able to play in the NCAA tournament. It's just food for thought. Zion Williamson is 18 years old. His future is super bright. I get the idea that you think maybe he should shut it down. 
But that's his decision. And if he's in college playing college basketball and he doesn't play in the NCAA tournament, that's a shame, man. That is just a total shame. This was a freak accident. You don't make decisions based on the worst-case scenario because that is not a good way to live. You don't live in a constant state of anxiety and fear. Regulations and rules should exist to protect against common occurrences, to balance the playing field in things that happen on a fairly regular basis. This has happened twice ever that I can remember. Once to Manu Ginobili in the NBA, and once to Zion Williamson a couple of days ago in Durham. He's going to be okay. If he wants to play, he should play. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5. Welcome back in. Good Friday to you. Great Friday, I hope you're having. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can find me there. Also the editor-in-chief of the Big Six blog, lead writer of 1045thezone.com. I've covered pop culture in addition to sports for over half a decade now, and I'm writing reviews. Currently I'm covering True Detective in pretty good detail. The season finale is coming up on Sunday. I've dropped about 20,000 words on the season so far, so if you are watching, feel free to check me out over there at 1045thezone.com slash blog, and you can read my detailed summaries and analysis of all the episodes so far. If you have not watched this season, watch the se- if you watched the first season, liked it, and hated season two and bailed, come on back, because season three has been very entertaining, and hopefully they're going to land this plane, and Nick Pizzolatto is going to put something special out there for us on Sunday night opposite the Academy Awards. And since I'm just talking about pop culture, the Friends podcast, I do something called the Pop Six as well. We brought this back. I used to host Outkick the Culture and even an old show called Certifiable Total Recall that's out there that you can still find with a good friend of mine that's now a stand-up comic and an improv comic down in South Carolina. But the Pop 6 is the weekly pop culture podcast that goes along with this Big 6 brand here on 104.5 The Zone. Blessed to, to have had the opportunity to do it and to bring it back and, and for people to have wanted me to bring it back. So we're going to talk a lot about pop culture on that show, certainly. And we're going to talk a lot about the past as well. And what we've done over the past three weeks, and there's still one more episode of this to go, is program director here at 104.5 Zone, Brad Willis, and I have been sitting down and going through Friends, the sitcom, in great, great detail. First week, we did seasons one through three. Second week, four through six. Yesterday, seven through nine released. And then next week, we're going to have the final season and a really cool idea that we think you're going to enjoy, that we're going to do a lot on the Pop 6. It's something I did on that Certifiable Total Recall podcast originally, and we really think that you're going to dig that. Also, possible surprise on that show as well. And I said, you know, we're going to do a lot of things like this, deep diving into series. And I've already got the next one set up, and we're going to have some guests with me for that one as well, from the building, super fans of that particular show I so badly want to tell you what it is right now because I know you're going to be really excited about it and we're going to have so much fun. And, of course, again, you can tweet me at jmartzone, and a lot of you have, or you can tweet at 1045thezone. Let us know what you think of the Friends cast, what we're missing out on, what we've covered really well, questions you'd like us to address, all that stuff. We're going to have a lot of – we're just going to have a blast doing this show. I'm not going to tell you till next week what the next one is, but suffice to say you're going to be really interested in this. It's going to be – 
it's going to be a lot of it's going to be a good time. Not good times is what's happening in New Orleans with Anthony Davis, who Danny Ferry has come out and said, okay, we're going to play him. He's actually playing tonight against the Pacers, but we're going to limit his minutes. They're also going to limit Drew Holiday's minutes, but he's going to go down to about 24 minutes a game. They were going to approach the NBA and try to get it to where they didn't have to play Anthony Davis at all. And, of course, there's no benefit to the New Orleans Pelicans playing Anthony Davis except for the people that want to come to see Anthony Davis play. The problem is he's getting booed out of his own building at the Smoothie King Center down in New Orleans because of how this thing has been handled on every side. The Lakers botched it. Dell Demps botched it so bad in New Orleans that he's gone. Probably should have taken the deal. That was a lot of talent that was coming their way. And it's like Dell Demps thinks he's going to get a, a top 10 player for a guy that everyone knows already wants out of town. And that seems difficult to understand. So Anthony Davis is going to be forced to play if he gets hurt. All he exists, basically right now, I'm not exactly sure how tall he is. I'm just going to guess. Right now he's a seven foot one stack of money for the Pelicans in terms of they need to exchange him for goods and or services. In this case, the goods would be other talent. If he goes out there and he tears his Achilles, then he's not going to have nearly as much value. And he's already gotten dinged up recently again. And he has had injury problems in his career. And at his height, he's more susceptible to them anyway. So there's nothing to be gained. There's a whole lot to be lost for the Pelicans having to play Anthony Davis. But competitive rules and all these things inside the NBA... Make it so he has to play. He doesn't want to play there. He wants to be healthy himself, obviously, and he said he wants to play in any other city in the NBA except New Orleans. All 29 other teams are on his list. That's his quote. That quote should be enough. I'm not saying, look, I said in the, in the last segment you can't make rules based on the worst case scenario. This is a really bad scenario. This is horrible. He's getting booed in his own building because they think he's a traitor, because he kind of is. He doesn't want to be a villain. He just wants to go play basketball somewhere else. I don't know what is to be gained by putting Anthony Davis out there on the floor where he's probably going to go at all-star speed. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe he goes 75-80%. Is he going to play at 100? No. The Pelicans aren't making the playoffs. They're an awful team. He doesn't want to be there. His coach has had enough. The organization's had enough. The fan base has had enough. And I've made this analogy before, but Bret Hart, the former WWF superstar, always says, look, you get hurt when you go half speed. You get hurt when you're pulling punches. You can hurt the other guy when you're pulling punches. And Jonas Knox, who was hosting with me this morning on Fox Sports Radio, said, yeah, it's basically like the dull knife theory. What's worse, cutting a sandwich with a sharp knife or a dull knife? It's a dull knife because the dull knife you're not taking as seriously. It'll slip out of your hands, and who knows what happens then. Anthony Davis is a dull knife right now. For the New Orleans Pelicans. In the hands of... And basically he's holding his own dull knife. I just can't imagine how he can go full speed. How can he even train his mind to care when he checked out on the team weeks ago? And when this story made him out to be straight up villain, really. And then he sort of backed off because he didn't want to be disliked. And so he said, no, I'll play for anybody. Even the Celtics. Even if that means my father disowns me. Because my father hates Boston because of the history. This is just a bad deal. If I'm the NBA, I have to look at this going forward. I can understand the arguments why you feel like he would need to play. It's a real slippery slope, and you've got to talk to the NBA Players Association, and there are concerns that need to be alleviated. But let me tell you something. If Anthony Davis 
over the next month or so gets hurt, especially if it is in any way severe, this had better change. There is no positive to this situation. He can't even enjoy playing basketball in the home gym that he's been in where he was drafted, where he was a hero for such a long time because of how toxic this situation has become. So why not let them put him on ice or not, or just put himself on ice, not risk injury, and not go through the humiliation and the negativity that's going to follow him until the end of a regular season that's going to come to a sputtering end and no playoff berth because the Pelicans are a disaster. Also, the Pelicans, a year ago, were the chic team to really push the Warriors to their limit in the playoffs. Rondo's playing great. Holiday's playing great. Davis is playing out of his mind. Pelicans are, are going to be good for a while. Flip to a year later, Del Demps is fired. Anthony Davis wants to play anywhere other than there. Rondo's in Los Angeles. It went wrong there in incredibly quick fashion. Up next, the AAF. Is it going wrong? I don't know. Is the cash infusion story that a deal? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing I do know. Power rankings in the AAF? you got to be kidding me. Big Six rolling along here on a Friday on 104.5 The Zone. Come. back happy friday to you it's going to be a rainy one this weekend hopefully the flood waters won't be as bad as anticipated but i keep looking at the forecast not good what is going to be good though 10th annual sports fest coming up march the 30th that's saturday last saturday of next month 9 a.m to 4 p.m out at nissan stadium first time ever it's going to be totally free but it's going to have everything that it's always had including new this year music city blitz five on five flag football tournament to help benefit Special Olympics Tennessee, you might want to play. And if you do, go register your team now, musiccitablitz.com. The Sports Fest Speaker Series is going to be back this year, of course, and we'll have announcements in the coming weeks as to who you can come see talk. Uh, teams around Middle Tennessee, all of them going to be representative. Vendor booths, concessions, inflatables, interactives. This is a chance for your family to come out and meet us, to meet the Zone family and our families we love getting together with you guys. We, we love celebrating sports and celebrating Nashville and just celebrating this community that you've helped us build by being our loyal audience. So we do this every year, and it's always a blast. It seems to get bigger every time. This time around, going to be totally free. Not a better way to spend your last Saturday in March than spending almost no money to come and hang out and just talk about, celebrate, and even participate in sports here in Nashville. Nissan Stadium, Saturday, March the 30th. want to thank some of our sponsors for this event. Crossroads Chiropractic, the Department of Environment and Conservation, the Division of Solid Hazardous Waste, and the Tennessee Toxic Substances Program. All of them part of this. Also, Southern Jerky Company. want to thank all of them for just being a part of what we're trying to do here. So, I kind of just want to read this to you, but I don't have it directly in front of me. I was looking yesterday at a a bunch of reputable sports websites, CBS, USA Today, Pro Football Focus, several places, because I kept seeing something pop up that just caught my eye. And, And for the life of me, I don't understand why this is real. The AAF, after two weeks, a cash infusion to save it, and eight current teams... The AAF 
the Alliance of American Football, for some reason, has power rankings on numerous reputable sports websites that you can go find right now. The Orlando Apollos, Steve Spurrier's team, they're undefeated early in the season. They're number one in all of these power rankings. Then you go two through eight. Were we clamoring for power rankings? Do you even know anything about all eight teams in the AAF, or do you know about two of them? I know about Orlando, and I think I know about the Commanders out in San Diego or San Antonio. I'm not even sure I know about that. I know about a couple of players. I know about Trent Richardson. I know about Christian Hackenberg. I know about Garrett Gilbert. I know about a couple of the coaches. I know kind of who's backing it. And I know that Carolina Hurricanes owner gave $250 million and is the new chairman of it. I get power rankings in the NFL. I get it in the NBA. I get it in Major League Baseball. I get it. But you cannot continue to try and sell me that the AAF needs power rankings two weeks into its existence or three weeks into its existence. There was another article that I read earlier this week that was teaching me how I could adopt one of these eight teams. Here are reasons to adopt one of the eight AAF franchises. Pick your favorite. Get into this thing. Folks, this is minor league football. It's minor league football with guys that didn't or weren't able to make it in the NFL, and I'm happy that they've got a place to play. And if I'm not doing anything else, I might flip over and watch this. And I love football, and I can't get enough football, and I haven't watched a down of this yet. I've watched uh, some highlights on social media, really one in particular, the hit on that quarterback from the first week that would have gotten flags and suspensions probably in the NFL. The condition of the play has been okay, not anything spectacular. The ratings were good in the first week. They went from like a 2.1 million to about 600,000. They changed networks, of course. CBS wasn't going to run that all the time, but they ran it there for the first week. It's a decent enough product. I'm not rooting for it to fail, but watching so many people in sports media seemingly find ways to create content out of the AAF is mind-boggling to me. Power rankings? Are you kidding me? I don't know anything about any of the teams in the league. I'm not going to read the power rankings and take them seriously. The only reason I would care about power rankings, honestly, the only reason I would care about the AAF right now, is if I was a gambling degenerate who didn't want to lose money. I have friends and I have colleagues in the media that are betting on AAF games. So they actually know about the league, and they've tried to tell me a couple of things about the league, and a few of them have lost money on the league already because they're betting in a situation where they don't know anything. Like, this isn't betting on the Saints to beat the Browns. This is betting on two franchises where you barely know any of the players on the teams, and even if you do, you're basing that on what you remember them doing in college because they never made it on the field in the NFL. So I can go read these power rankings. All right, Orlando's number one. That's awesome. I might watch the whatever, the Super Bowl or the playoffs of this league, and I'm not against the league. I'm just saying it seems so artificial to spend so much time talking about this league And I've seen it on television. I've seen it done a little bit on radio. Thank goodness it hasn't been done that much. But there is a whole lot of content online that is dedicated to try and get you to care about this upstart football league when it's kind of tough for me to invest in it. When you were about one step away from needing to contact Montel Williams for a payday loan just to make payroll. Jonas Knox is hosting with me the last couple of days on Outkick the Coverage. What he said yesterday was very apt. He basically said, 
the AAF is handing you a check and saying, don't cash it yet. You ever get one of those checks from somebody and you just know it's shady and they date it for like March the 9th and we're sitting here on February the 22nd and they're like, oh, whoa, don't cash that thing for a couple of weeks now. Like you almost know that thing's probably not going to be good by the time you get to cash it. The AAF and people saying, yeah, it's normal for a new business and maybe it is, but they needed $250 million cash infusion because there was problems in their own minds where they weren't sure they were going to be able to make payroll for their roster. That's a legitimate, true statement. That's how much trouble the AAF was in after just one week. The second week, they almost missed payroll. Now they're going to be fine. And look, new companies often do this, and you end up finding a guy, an angel, a nine-figure investor, which is exactly what happened, and now this guy's the chairman of the AAF. Again, I'd love to see AAF survive and succeed, Maybe I should just have fun with it and go find a team and adopt that team and start paying attention to everything they're doing. I just find it hard to do so. And when I see websites pumping out power rankings two weeks into the existence of a league where we don't know 95% of the people on these rosters or we don't know the current iteration of these guys, pump the brakes just a little bit. Can we at least get halfway through the season before we start talking about this stuff? I mean, seriously, people are getting paid to write a whole lot of AAF articles right now. Do you care? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just a little bit too negative about this. Tweet me at jmartzone. Coming up next, Hulk Hogan biopic starring Chris Hemsworth. You can keep it. I will not be seeing it. I will tell you why next. Big Six. Closing up shop on a Friday here on 104.5 The Zone. Finishing up the week here, Big Six, 104.5, The Zone, Tennessee, LSU, tomorrow. Vols need to kind of get back to playing the kind of basketball we expect to see them play. Not a great performance against Vanderbilt earlier this week, and of course the loss of Kentucky. That's a tough game against a pretty good LSU team tomorrow, so that's one I think we all need to be paying pretty close attention to, and we'll have coverage for you right here on The Zone. So I want to talk a little bit about this Hulk Hogan biopic that's being, well, I mean, it's going to happen. Todd Phillips, who directed The Hangover, directed Old School, uh, he's done some pretty good stuff throughout his career, is going to direct. And Chris Hemsworth is going to play Hulk Hogan. And that seems like a really good idea because, you know, Hulk Hogan's interesting and Todd Phillips says he knows how to kind of do comedy with a little bit of seriousness to it. He's changed kind of some of the stuff that he's done as of late. He's also doing the Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix that's coming out. But there's a problem here. And that is that Hulk Hogan is a complex figure, not the simplistic American hero who ate his vitamins and all of those things. It's not the same guy anymore because we have come to know more about Hulk Hogan. The same way we came to know more about Tiger Woods. The same way we've come to know more about all sorts of figures. Even, I've talked about it this week, Kevin Durant. And how I didn't necessarily expect him to become what he's become in terms of someone that's as sensitive as he is. Antonio Brown, another example of a guy I didn't realize was going to be as big a diva as it turns out that he has been. Hulk Hogan was a great professional wrestler in terms of an entertainer, was able to translate to the big screen and make some money in a lot of bad movies, and did a lot of good, did charity work and all sorts of things, and 
was a good example for kids and made a ton of money for a lot of other people as well. Hogan versus Andre at WrestleMania three was as big as we've ever seen at the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit. Making a movie about Hulk Hogan, all right, cool. That makes sense, especially considering that over the last several years, we've seen a different Hulk Hogan. We've seen a reality TV Hulk Hogan. We have seen Brooke Hogan, his daughter, try to become a singing star, and that fails. We've seen this Gawker lawsuit. We have seen sexually explicit videos that ended up being released. We have seen stories of racism and audio that's released where Hogan even said, I am a racist and uses the worst word in the English language. We've seen him scrubbed from the WWE's website and from all of their archive footage in terms of, look, I mean, we know he's an alumnus, so we can't fully scrub him, but we're just kind of going to downplay this for a while because there's a lot of heat on Hulk Hogan. But the problem here with this biopic is, like, if you were able to include all of that, that'd be pretty fantastic. Like, that would be a really good story. That would be a fascinating look at a guy who went from American hero to a guy that, hmm, not sure he's a role model at all. In the old Charles Barkley, I am not a role model, which I still find to be one of the great ad campaigns of all time because it was 100% authentic to who Charles Barkley was as a person. I am not a role model. Hulk Hogan, not really a role model. The idealized version of Hulk Hogan is. So you've got a chance here for something captivating that tells a story of a flawed human being that could not live up to the persona that he portrayed. That's a story that I think we would all pay to see. The fall from grace and now trying to be a redemption story. Unfortunately, this is not a full depiction of Hulk Hogan. Instead, this is, and I read this from Awful Announcing, and I can't put it better than this, it's a rehab job. One of the key executive producers on this film is... Hulk Hogan. And another key producer on this film is Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan's best friend and vice versa, who employed him in WCW uh, when Hogan made his second run, really, after being the babyface hero character. He played the villain and really set pro wrestling on fire for the next three or four years, leading to the Monday Night Wars and leading to the anti-hero characters of Steve Austin and The Rock and a lot of the guys that that came out and ended up being huge stars and changing what wrestling was during the Attitude Era. It all started with the New World Order angle in 96 in WCW when Hulk Hogan, the eternal babyface, finally flipped and became the biggest villain and one of the great villains we've ever seen in the industry. But Hogan and Bischoff together making a movie about Hulk Hogan, they're not going to tell the rest of the story. And how do I know that? The actual release about this happening came through the Hollywood Reporter on Wednesday, and here's what they said. The biopic will not delve into those years, meaning the Gawker years, the Brooke Hogan failed singing career years, the son in jail years, the videotape of sex between him and a radio host's wife, none of that stuff. The biopic will not delve into those years or attempt to encompass Hogan's entire life. Instead, sources say it will focus on his rise and is described as an origin story of the Hulkster and Hulkamania. What that means is 
we just want to tell you the cool stuff about Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan's an executive producer, and so is his best friend. And we just kind of want to we want to prop Hogan back up. We want to try and build up his image and his reputation again. So I have really very little interest in seeing this. I like Todd Phillips. And they could have done something here. They had an opportunity to do something here. But you can't let Nixon do the Watergate documentary and expect that documentary to be any good. You just can't do it. You know, Ezra Edelman had to do the OJ 30 for 30. Orenthal could not do that. And I'm not trying to compare Orenthal to Hulk Hogan. I'm just making a, a larger example and a larger point here. If Hulk Hogan really wanted to rehab his image, let me tell you something. If you remember Michael Vick's press conference, when he was very, very contrite about the dogfighting and all of the things that he had been through, not up there with the script, really speaking from the heart, even though a lot of people still have not forgiven him, that was authentic. You remember Tiger Woods's first comments after the Elon Nordegren incident on Thanksgiving back in 2009, when it looked like he was shooting a hostage video from the house from Fletch Lives, and he just looked like he didn't want to be there, and then he did another press conference later that seemed even more fake. Which one of those two guys did you have more sympathy for? Now, if you love dogs to the extent you could never forgive Michael Vick, then you know maybe this is a different argument for you. But I'm going to suggest something. And this is, look, this is perfect world stuff, and I get that this is probably not realistic. But if I'm Hulk Hogan, or if I'm advising Hulk Hogan, these stories are all already out there. They're not going away. They're on the internet. They've been published. People know these stories. Rather than put together some sanitized deal that tries to show an idealized version of Hulk Hogan that eliminates all the ugliness, what if... Hulk Hogan, as executive producer, allowed everything in to, instead of trying to proclaim himself to be perfect, instead went the opposite and said, you know what, America, you know what, guys, I am imperfect. I am a flawed human being. I have made a ton of mistakes in my life. I have done things wrong, and I am trying to learn from those things, and I don't think that it's okay for me to avoid my past just because it's uncomfortable for me. So I want you to see the full blemished version of Terry Bollea. I want you to see the man behind Hulk Hogan, see the, the errors of my ways, and see that I'm a flawed person that's just trying to be better. What if that was the narrative behind this film? Instead of, let's talk about when Hulk Hogan was the biggest star in pro wrestling and when everybody loved him and when kids were ideal, idolizing him and none of these other things ever even happened. What if you went the other way? What if you use this as an opportunity instead of just trying to rehab your image to rehab it by being real, by being authentic, by being genuine, and by being willing to show the scars the self-injurious scars. Because we all love a redemption story. We also all recognize our own flaws. It's okay to be real and to be honest about those things. I don't think that it kills Hulk Hogan to just say, look, these are some bad things that happened in my past. I'm hoping you'll give me a second chance. But instead, 
we're going to hear about WrestleMania three and coming through AWA and the blonde hair and probably not even going to hear about the bald spot and how they tried to cover it up on camera and all of these things. It's just going to be a love fest for Hulk Hogan. And Chris Hemsworth is probably going to do a really good job, and it's probably going to be well done. But you can keep it. Because I have no interest in seeing a sanitized, fake version of reality. It's also why Bohemian Rhapsody was not very good. Because reading for more than five minutes told you just what a farce that film actually was. It's why Sasha Baron Cohen said, no, I'm not doing this. Hulk Hogan, you had an opportunity here, and maybe you still do, to actually get past the mirror in front of your own face and recognize the value in real. We care about real. This, this is going to feel like a movie. I'll see you on Monday. Remember, balls LSU tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.